Welcome to NGA Notable Lectures, a podcast offering a deeper understanding of all things artistic. Rachel Whiteread, the first comprehensive survey of this British sculptor's 30-year career, features drawings, photographs, architecture-scaled sculptures, archival materials, documentary materials on public projects, and several new works on view for the first time. In this introductory lecture, recorded on September 16, 2018, Molly Donovan explains how White Reed's sculptures memorialize everyday objects, domestic interiors, and public spaces. Donovan also shares the ways in which White Reed has effectively recast the memories of these locations and objects to chart the seismic changes in how we live from late 20th century and into the 21st. The exhibition is on view through January 13, 2019. Welcome and thank you for coming today. I'm Molly Donovan, Curator of Contemporary Art at the National Gallery of Art. And I'm speaking with you about the Rachel Whiteread exhibition, the first comprehensive survey of the esteemed British artist's work. It's a dream come true to present this truly dream-filled work to our audience. Whiteread has been called a geographer of hidden spaces for her sculpture made by casting within, under, and around everyday objects and architecture rather than the things themselves, thus creating works that present a paradox. While recognizable, they're puzzling and disorienting. Take untitled Domestic, the object you passed on your way into this auditorium. It looks like a staircase. We recognize the risers and treads of the stairs, but the angles are all off. <clears throat> when we tip our head upside down, we see that the stairs are reoriented, tipped upside down and on their side with the landings in vertical positions. This work, the largest in the exhibition, is an architecture scale cast from the original idea of a fire escape. So it's of the space of the stairwell rather than the stairs themselves. And it was cast based on the Haunch of Venison staircase at um, the Haunch of Venison Yard in London, the home of Lord Nelson in the 18th century. It was not, in fact, cast in situ, but made rather from a replicated facsimile. As White Reed remarked, the object was reoriented in order to make a spatial conundrum. This is one of the things I hope that visitors will take away from this show. The idea that each of White Reed's work is a visual puzzle to be worked out. The artist grounds us by constantly returning to familiar forms and readdressing them in a variety of innovative ways that challenge the viewer. Ultimately, White Reed gives shape to a new awareness of sculptural traditions and an afterlife of objects we use, the places we inhabit, the role our memory plays, and the quiet, austere power of the humble objects we often take for granted. <clears throat> Before we get into the works further, I want to express, express my gratitude to all our colleagues and supporters, and our lenders, one of whom is here today, for making this show possible. There was a lot of heavy lifting over the past six years that it took to organize the show. Our outstanding team at the gallery deserves my deepest thanks. The National Gallery organized the exhibition with Tate Britain, where it opened last fall, and I had the great pleasure to co-curate the exhibition with Anne Gallagher, Director of Collections for British Art at Tate. 
And most of all, I want to thank Rachel White-Reed, whose generosity of spirit is evident in all her work. We were most fortunate to collaborate on all aspects of the show with her. This four-venue exhibition has also been seen at the Belvedere Einenswanziger in Vienna. And following its presentation here, we'll travel to its final stop at the St. Louis Art Museum this winter. The show covers over 30 years of White Reed's artistic output, and all four venues share a common core, which is joined at each museum with different examples from White Reed's major series, and they're sourced regionally. So no, we did not ship the staircase from London. We borrowed a different work uh, from Western New York. Each show, thus, is quite unique. The approach to the show models the artist's process of casting unique works within categories or typologies of everyday objects like hot water bottles shown here, which the artist titled Torsos. Among the first works you encounter in the show are eight such torsos made between the years 1991 and 1999, casts of individual hot water bottles, those somewhat old-fashioned symbols of comfort and home, particularly in Great Britain, which the artist made by filling the rubber membrane with liquid medium, shaping them, and when the medium solidified, peeling away the rubber mold and thus destroying the mold. This series illustrates White Reed's process of casting similar forms in different materials, ranging from concrete and rubber to pink dental plaster and translucent resin, even covering one in a decorous silver leaf and giving value to this lowly, nearly obsolete household item. White Reed's serial process recalls the modern practice of making addition sculpture from the 18th to the 20th century by such artists as Daniel Chester French, whose allegorical work, Memory, from 1886, was later made in clay, plaster, marble, and bronze. And I'm showing you images here of the bronze and plaster versions included in a landmark show at the Fogg Art Museum in 1975 called Metamorphosis in 19th Century Sculpture. Beyond the material changes, White Reed charts in her works is her play with traditional and historical notions of sculpture across temporal modalities to mark and move contemporary concerns forward while honoring the past. White Reed's torsos provide a titular allusion to classical Greek sculpture like this first century torso in the Uffizi Gallery, a headless, limbless fra fragment of a fragile figural sculpture that sur survives from antiquity. Is White Reed making the case that hot water bottles should survive into the future? I'm not so sure. The evocative title of White Reed's torsos and their anthropomorphic form set up the role of the human figure in the artist's work through its ineffable absence. This displacement of the body prompts an empathy, vigilance, and care of civilizing objects and spaces. Her other series, like her mattresses, windows, doors, small colored still lives, and commissioned works likewise underscore distinctions within related groups, like individuals in a collection of people, and the contingencies of place. The show illustrates that this artist 
well known for the consistent role casting plays in her work, should equally, if not more strongly, be characterized for the repetition and reproductive processes driving her practice. As White Reed has stated, I've done the same thing over and over again, the same processes and research, but refining the strategy. For as we've seen, sometimes she casts from the original objects, while other times she creates the mold herself and casts an invented form. It's never the same twice. While Wright Reed may be the artist laureate of London, some may not be as familiar with her work, so this introduction is presented in mostly chronological order. For others, the Rachel we know may go back nearly 30 years to 1990, when she made her breakthrough work, Ghost, or 1993 with House, which caused a big stir in London. She's been making great work all the while. Importantly, her practice cannot be fully understood as simply autonomous cast objects. Rather, her works are best understood as these series of related objects that bear the human imprint. Her quietly powerful sculptures leave an indelible mark on our imagination. And I know I've never forgotten the first, first works I saw by Rachel in Philadelphia at the Institute of Contemporary Art in 1993. And I've been following her ever since. Our hope is that this show will haunt the memories of our audience for a long time, too. So who is Rachel White Reed, and why does she make the work she does? She was born in 1963 in Ilford, due east of Highgate, on the, greater, the edge of Greater London. White Reed's family eventually moved to Muswell Hill in North London, a blend of lower middle class, bohemian, and working class inhabitants, where Rachel spent the better part of her childhood with her older twin sisters, artist's mother, and geography teacher father. And I can highly recommend watching the BBC documentary at the end of the exhibition, um, which it, it touches on her biography as it relates to her career and features an extensive interview with Rachel. So make time, take time to, to avail yourself of that. I think it will give you a great insight into her practice and her character. She studied at the Brighton Polytechnic Institute and received her master's degree from the Slade School of Fine Art at University College London. And she, um, she graduated with classmate Damien Hurst. Fast forward to White Reed's post-university days when she was working to support herself as a young artist. Her first exhibition at the Carlisle Gallery in 1988 included four objects cast from household furniture. Shallow breath, the cast of the underside of a bed, and closet, the cast of the inside of a wardrobe covered in black felt, both recalling the hiding spaces of childhood. White Reed would later say, I found a way to make memories solid. As indices of memorial objects and spaces, they have been compared to death masks of the everyday and forgotten. Together with her first torso and mantle cast from a dressing table, she chose the domestic items that would have provided the basic comforts for a North, North Londoner living in a terrace house or a recent university graduate, and more specifically, a young artist working multiple jobs to support herself 
and maintain a studio. In 1990, to realize her desire to cast an entire room for an upcoming show at the Chisholm Gallery, White Reed leased a terrace house from at 486 Archway Road in North London from ACME, a nonprofit organization providing artists with affordable space, which had leased the house from the local council. The resulting work, Ghost, would catapult her from quasi-anonymity to art world stardom at the age of 27. White Reed's choice to make Ghost from a room relatively similar in size, not big, not small, and style, with a door, a window, and a fireplace to those in which she grew up links her own life to the work. Ghost was made by hand almost entirely by White Reed, who laboriously hauled plaster of Paris dry mix up the steep archway road on her bike a few bags at a time. She methodically applied wet plaster on everything but the ceiling and door in logical gridded sections, including the areas of the door, the window, and the fireplace of the entry-level Victorian parlor. In a 2008 interview, she told me she'd like to make the work the same way again, but that she can't repeat naivete. This puzzling sculpture is presented as a box-like object comprising panels installed over an armature of shelving brackets and bearing the negative impressions of the interior surfaces facing outward toward the viewer, creating a positive form from a negative space. She had achieved her stated goal to mummify the air in the room. After assembling the work in her studio, she walked in one morning to see the natural light hitting ghost and focusing on the light switch. She understood in this moment that she, as the viewer, had become the wall and that she'd done something extraordinary. Now, to unpack this statement, uh, White Reed had cr created a sculpture by making the void of the room appear solid, thus displacing the body. It's a bit of a brain puzzle, so I'll let you think about that for a second, um, let it sink in. The work's austerity and clarity belies its complexity and richness. She later remarked, when I made Ghost, I was interested in relocating a room, relocating a space from a small domestic house into a big concrete anonymous place, which is what museums have done all over the world for years and years. By carrying these household items into the future, White Reed's process recalls the plaster reproductions of antique architecture in the so-called cast courts of 19th century Beaux-Arts Museum displays, the now classic Mausoleum as Museum or Museum as Mausoleum, Museum as Mausoleum model, whichever you prefer. Um, and on this score, please save the date of October 26th for the public symposium when we will have Mar Professor Mari Lending as our keynote speaker. Uh, her recent book, um, Plaster Monuments, Architecture and the Power of Reproduction, will be addressed vis-a-vis -vis White Reed's practice. So this is not Ghost, I'm showing you in the slide, but rather a different work called Room 101, and it was installed in the cast courts at, the, at London's Victoria and Albert Museum in 2003. 
Ghost was shortlisted for the Turner Prize in 1991. It was her linchpin work and set her career on a track that never slowed. White Reed has since received numerous, numerous awards. In 1993, she was the first woman and youngest artist to win the coveted Turner Prize for House, which we saw earlier, the cast of an entire terrace house in East London. She was awarded the prize for the best young artist at the Venice Biennale in 1997, was created commander of the British Empire in 2006, presented with the International Medal from the Arts from the US Department of State in 2016. And in 2017, she won the Ada Louise Huxtable Prize, and on and on. They just keep piling up. White Reed quickly gained critical attention ahead of her peer group, a generation of so-called young British artists, or YBAs, that included Hearst, Tracy Eamon, Sarah Lucas, and Chris Ophelia. She has achieved in a short period of time, what many seek to accomplish during a lifetime. Ghost, her breakthrough work, entered the National Gallery's collection in 2004, a generous gift of the Glenstone Foundation. And it was on view from 2004 to 2013 when the East Building, it had to come down for the East Building renovation. But that was just the beginning of Ghost's story. The work was damaged in the earthquake that hit Washington, D.C. in 2011. Accordingly, to prepare it for this exhibition, the gallery and its staff, led by our amazing objects conservation team, uh, particularly Judy Azzoni, um, undertook the largest, most interdepartmental conservation effort ever at the National Gallery to strengthen the work and its interior to support to make it exhibitable for future generations. So Ghost lives on. Then, in 2013, our information office received an email from Graham Watley, a man in Kentucky, about his familial homestead at 486 Archway Road in North London, the same address at which Rachel Whiteread made Ghost in 1990. The history of its making was posted on the gallery's webpage, which Mr. Watley found in an online search of his old address. He conveyed his excitement, and he was excited, uh, at his find and his message, which began, I was playing about on Google and looked up our old home in London and discovered the piece of art the National Gallery owns, which it sounds to me is a casting of an entire room for the house, exclamation point. I have never seen this piece of art in person and only discovered these facts this past weekend, exclamation point. My name is Graham Watley. I currently live in Louisville, Kentucky, as do my parents now in their 80s, my brothers and sister. We are all in our 50s. We moved to the US in 1963 and came to Kentucky as a young immigrant family. We used to live in the home upon which Rachel Whiteread's piece called Ghost is based. That address is 486 Archway Road, Highgate, London, England, N6. Questions about the role that chance played in this story are inevitable. So too are the ways in which a life cast of an interior space would refill with that life. And uh, I can highly recommend a supporting exhibition done in our library by my colleagues Pedro Zansky and Yuri Long um, that showcases the Watley family. There are more photos such as this um, in at 486 Archway Road and elsewhere. Um, and also, it documents the making of Ghost in depth. 
So I could spend this entire talk discussing ghosts, but I'm going to resist that temptation. The objects Whiteweed would go on to make also invite close looking and thinking. One might wonder, how does she choose these objects to cast? As she has said, I choose things for their humbleness, adding that she remarked, tactility is how I reference the object the work is cast from. Their familiarity draws us in, and she leaves us to figure the rest out ourselves. I'm just going to show you a couple pairings of related objects here, a plaster bath with glass on top and a few details to show the fracture on their surface that she conveys in, through the casting process. A rubber bath and the drain, two mattresses and it, the staining on the bottom of the mattress, a rubber mattress and the label on the back of the mattress. The work really invites careful looking at all the details, and it's remarkable the way in which the artist has conveyed the tactility of the original object. Another mattress-looking object, but is in fact the space between the bottom of the mattress and the floor, like shallow breath, and table and chair. This, of course, has a precedent in art history, Bruce Nauman's cast of the space under my chair, a concrete sculpture that savors for its title would be fully abstract. And as we can see, White Reed's work operates very differently, more socially than Nauman's, and subtly recasts his idea, giving it an afterlife. Considering White Reed's processes within the context of traditional casting offers a means of appreciating her enigmatic work. To make a conventional bronze sculpture, for example, a positive model of plaster, clay, or wax is completed to an artist's degree of finish. Over that form, plaster is poured to create a mold from which the bronze is eventually cast. White Reed, as we have seen, at times uses existing objects as her models, directly casting the spaces beneath, around, or within them. The final sculpture may be a cast of that space, a solidification, of that void. Alternatively, it may be a positive cast of the original, or it may be something more complicated, for White Reed plays with the language of sculpture by mixing techniques and combining elements of different casts. White Reed has constantly taken photos, another form of casting impressions. There are a few series of found and discarded items she has come across at home in London and in her travels that provide a glimpse of how she sees the world. These three images are from a set of photographic screen prints of a controlled demolition of three deteriorating residential blocks in a working class neighborhood of East London. They document a particular moment in the troubled history of failed British housing schemes. As Rachel said of the event, it was strange. Some people were celebrating and others were crying because these were their homes. You can look at it in two ways, an optimistic view of London or a pessimistic view of London, combining hope and community. What this work makes clear is White Reed's fundamental belief that everyone has a right to a roof over their head. 
After her mother's death in 2003, while sorting countless cardboard boxes of her belongings, White Reed realized how generic containers carried the imprint of personal memories. Contents, seen here on the left, in plaster, prefigured the monumental installation of polyethylene casts in Tate Modern's Turbine Hall. She went on to cast boxes of all shapes and sizes in combination with furniture and shelving. This is a real favorite. It's a cast of a dollhouse. And I invite you, when you go to the exhibition, to walk around the backside. We've allowed space for you to safely go behind it and um, take note of the staircase and the balustrade, so carefully cast. I asked Rachel how she did this, and she said, I can't share my trade secrets. But it's remarkable, the technical um, precision in this work. It's related to an exhibition that was at the MFA Boston uh, in 2008 and 2009, and it um, was organized around Rachel's enormous collection of dollhouses that she obtained through friends and on eBay that she then lit um, the interiors of and put in this very dark room. It was very moving. Given much of White Reed's work considers the relationship between the interior and exterior structures in which we live, her turn to the subject of doors and windows is a natural one. These transitional elements function as thresholds between outside and inside, public and private, open and closed, transparent and opaque. Early casts of modern paneled doors in plaster give way to translucent resin treatments of rustic and antique doors. And I show you here circa 1665, a 17th century door. It's so modeled, its surface, it looks like stained glass. It's very, very beautiful. And her windows, where she combines contemporary window treatments alongside Victorian sash windows, opaque treatments, and very beautiful translucent atmospheric treatments. And here's a detail of night glass, which is a very dark blue. And you can see the way in which she takes great care to cast the glazing in such a um, smooth way in contrast to the painted wood sash element of the window. As a break from her larger scale works, White Reed began making intimate sized works on her own so that she'd be free of contractors and engineers um, and assistants. She wanted to take some time and work by herself in her studio at a certain moment in her career. In these works, she elevates commonplace items to the level of respect and contemplation, like still lives. And I've, I've never imagined that a role of a row of toilet paper rolls would look this beautiful. That's what these are, cast toilet paper rolls. And she does the same thing with packing peanuts and takeout containers and drink cans. These works were made at a time when White Reed became a mom, and she attributed the bright colors to all the plastic stuff that kids come with. It's notable how her palette changed from the industrial colors we saw in the first room of the exhibition to her earlier work and how it, that palette has shifted. White Reed's drawings, she has said, are a diary of my work. And until 
a recent exhibition of her drawings in 2010, she had kept her drawings private. They allow her practice other ways of art making that she enjoys, like drawing and painting, but with unconventional materials like varnish, and this drawing is made of varnish, and white out this mattress and this mattress. An entire, this, this wall is a show unto itself, I must say. It's so beautiful. Um, and it further demonstrates her thoroughly intermedia practice. There's always at play in her work this uh, order, exemplified by the graph paper, and then, you know, the handmade, so chaos, entropy, um, death and life and death, essentially. Um, those are the constant tensions at play in her work. White Reed has collected the detritus of life for decades, some of which she keeps, while others she casts, turning them into works of art. In the vitrine in the exhibition, we have a selection of the artist's found objects and sculpted objects, and they're mixed in with personal mementos and her sketchbooks. They share traces of human touch, whether White Reed's or those of other. And you can just spend hours poring over this vitrine and trying to figure out which works she made, which works she found. I don't even have all the answers. As a sculptor of three-dimensional objects, one of White Reed's mainstays is her use of scale, mostly of the ready-made variety that she finds here and there. And here she's scaling up dollhouse silverware to real size, recasting it in stainless steel. And you can see how imperfect that fork is and all the edges of the kind of roughly die-cut plastic dollhouse silverware she's casting from. The same goes with this dollhouse and saucer teacup cast in ceramic and hand-painted by the artist. An acknowledged pack rat, Wright Reed purged vast amounts of accumulated material when she moved to her studio in 2015. Some of that was paperwork, which she shred, and returning to one of her first cast practices used in art school, made paper mache works, like this one, a wall relief that isolates section of a section of a small stru structure, the wall and roof line of a shed, sort of a remembrance of things past, said White Reed, referring to Proust. And what we know about this work, Apex, is that the materials, the documents she shredded to, that comprise this work are all from the making of the work House. Speaking of House, um, we have a beautiful room of all her commissioned works that we represent in various ways with models where we have them, with uh, documentary photographs, and, um, and a video in the case of the making of House that we were grateful to borrow from um, ACME, the organization that commissioned the work. So while she was making her first cast her, of an entire room ghost, she determined to cast the interior of an entire home. And this became possible through a partnership with Art Angel, a public art organization in the United Kingdom. She was granted permission to cast this Victorian terrace house in East London that had been slated for demolition. Working with a structural engineer and professional concrete laborers, 
White reed painstakingly cast the interior before the exterior walls and roof were removed to reveal the sculpture. House became a catalyst for public debate, touching nerves on all sides of the public housing schemes in 1980s and early 90s London. Advocates declared House a masterpiece worthy of standing in perpetuity. Detractors demanded its immediate demise. After taking two years to realize House, it stood just for 80 days, from October 1993 to January 1994. And although it was intended to be temporary, the decision to tear the work down was delivered by the local council on the same day White Reed won the Turner Prize for making House. To this day, London taxi drivers recall driving people from Heathrow Airport and across London to see the work. The nearby film and series of photographs document the making and dismantling of the sculpture. And uh, I just want to point out in this area where you can watch the, the film for House is a piece of furniture de designed by White Reed, a piece of functional furniture called Daybed which we've acquired at the National Gallery, and you are invited to sit on it, but only it. It's the only thing you can sit on in the exhibition. But just as a way to show the artist's full practice and the ways in which she operates, and she actually started making these um, functional day beds um, a while ago in 93. And here is just a, a snapshot of the two maquettes in the exhibition with the images of all the public commissioned works. White Reed's memorial to the 65,000 Austrian Jews murdered during the Holocaust is sited on Vienna's Judenplatz, a town square that had once been the, city's, the center of the city's thriving Jewish community. Unlike many of the artist's castings that are imprints of real spaces, Holocaust Memorial, or Nameless Library, as the work is sometimes called, is a composite work representing an anonymous set of bookshelves, the interior turned inside out, with architectural details taking, taken from various homes surrounding the square. The cast of the spaces between and around the books, arranged on the shelves with their spines facing inwards, offered a layered reference to the Jews as people of the book, as well as to Nazi book burnings. The base includes a list of sites where Austrian Jews perished at the hands of Nazis. White Reed has said of the work, it functions both as private and public space. The Judenplatz monument is from its inception bound up in history and politics. As with her other works, White Reed's Holocaust Memorial is a cast, not of a human form, but as a sign of humanity and civilizing spaces. Commissioned by the Public Art Fund, Water Tower was installed on a rooftop at 60 Grand Street in Soho, Lower Manhattan, from 1998 to 2000. Did anybody see it? Yeah, it was pretty great. The ubiquity of water towers across the city's skyline appealed to White Reed, who wanted to give presence to what she called the furniture of the city that no one took notice of. She selected a translucent resin for its icy appearance and its ability to reflect the weather. She said, I want it to seem like a peaceful moment in the sky to echo the atmosphere of the city. Water Towers now in the collection of the Museum of Modern Art in New York, where it's installed on its roof, seen here on the left. 
overlooking the sculpture garden. Anybody seen that? If you haven't, next time you're at MoMA, go to one of the upper level gallery windows that's facing the sculpture garden and look up to the right. That's where it is, quietly holding sentinel over the sculpture garden. In 1998, Whiteree was commissioned to create a temporary work to adorn the fourth plinth in London's famed Trafalgar Square. And we know about that square, um, that plinth, the fourth plinth project, because of the Katerina Fritsch on the roof now, which was likewise commissioned to adorn the fourth plinth. Originally envisioned to hold a bronze statue of British monarch William IV, the plinth remained empty for 150 years. White redesigned and inverted the resin cast to the exact dimensions of the granite plinth, a work which she described as a monument to the plinth, the support for sculpture contested by artists like Auguste Rosanne, Rodin since the late 19th century. Artists are always going after bases. Weighing in at 11 tons, monument was then the largest resin object ever made. Yet its translucence made it seem weightless and at times absent, in effect emphasizing the unrealized bronze of William IV. As I mentioned earlier in regard to contents, Tate commissioned White Reed to create a work for Turbine Hall at Tate Modern, located alongside the Thames River in, in London. The project was inspired by a well-worn cardboard box that the artist had found among her mother's belongings shortly after her death. For White Reed, this humble carton was not merely a container for Christmas ornaments and toys, but offered a trove of personal memories. Embankment comprised 14,000 polyethylene interior casts of 10 different cardboard boxes, which were stacked in piles of various dimensions to create a labyrinth. The immersive installation transformed the vast space of Turbine Hall into a sort of warehouse, a reference to the industrial history of the museum, which had once operated as a power station. After the installation, the polyethylene boxes were shredded on site and recycled. Boathouse is the first of White Reed's shy sculptures, works that are placed inconspicuously and usually require a journey to reach and from a distance look like the actual buildings from which they're cast. The sculpture located on the shoreline of a Norwegian fjord is a concrete cast of the interior of a boathouse. White Reed has said of her shy sculptures, I wanted to make a shy sculpture, a sculpture that would stand there peaceful and noble. And she's made a whole series, I'm not gonna go through each one of them, but they're represented in the projects room of the show. And she's presently preparing to install another one of these shy sculptures, a Nissan hut, akin to a Quonset hut, um, that she's casting concrete, and she'll be installing it in a forest in Yorkshire next week. This concrete cast of the interior of a wood cabin is located on Governor's Island alongside New York Harbor with views of the New York skyline, accessible only by ferries from Manhattan during the summer months. White Reed littered the surrounded area with bronze casts of bottles, cans, and other trash. You can kind of see one of them here but, and one here, heightening the sense of isolation and abandonment. The impenetrable retreat is both tranquil, tranquil and uninviting. Its location in clear view of the Statue of Liberty and the former site of the Twin Towers, resonating with its sense of promise 
and disillusion. On the occasion of the London Summer Olympics in 2012, White Reed was commissioned to create a permanent artwork for the facade of the White Chapel Art Gallery in East London, where a mosaic originally conceived for the space had never been realized. Sounds like Plinth, her work for Trafalgar Square. Working with the building's existing terracotta tree of life motif, the artist added an array of bronze leaf casts covered in gold that appear as if they are glowing growing, rather, across the upper facade, and four terracotta casts of windows echo the windows original to the building. So these four. And her last commissioned work installed just a year ago in London, the US Embassy Flatpak House. White Reed's monumental con concrete sculptural frieze of a prefabricated house kit forms most of the entrance wall of the new United States Embassy in Nine Elms, South London, greeting all visitors from home and abroad. Flatpak House takes as its inspiration from the affordable and tr transitional housing kits that were popular in the United States and Great Britain in the early mid 20th century, offering shelter after the two world wars. The project hints at White Reed's social concerns, and her sustained interest in housing policies. And finally, as a kind of parting shot are a few drawings at the end of the exhibition, this one in silver leaf of an outlet, an electrical outlet. And I thought um, I would share with you a quote that the Irish poet laureate Colm Tobin made about White Reed, and they wonderfully collaborated on a volume that is also in our library exhibition called Testament. White Reed made the images to accompany Tobin's texts. But what he said about her, because he, you know, he understands her poetic nature, and he was able to articulate it, um, I think rings quite, quite true. What he said was what she's brilliant at is that idea of the tactfully made image, the purity of it. And whatever happens to you as you look at these images or sculptures is mysterious, making one realize, I think I saw something or felt something that I cannot fully articulate. Thank you. This has been a National Gallery of Art podcast.